We are in a series um, called Your Best Life, which is not the best title, but uh, I'm kidding. I kind of like it. It's growing on me. Um, this is a phrase we realize this is the most, um, this is the, one of the number one like hashtags that people use in the world, in the world, your best life. Apparently people are interested in whether or not they are living their best life or others are living their best life or what it means to live their best life. And so we just wanted to turn as followers of Jesus as we often do in the fall and uh, recalibrate and offer the alternative vision that Jesus offers of what the best life actually is. I'm looking around here. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Chris, can you do me a favor? Or Adam, could you guys find me a Bible? I seem to have misplaced my Bible. And as a preacher, that is a horrible situation. I think there's one in the back room there. Thank you. Um, and so this series offering an alternative vision around thank you so much. This isn't, this, is like, this isn't really a preacher Bible, though, Jocelyn? Is this going to be all right? Okay, it's going to be all right. Same Bible, though. If you like this Bible, we actually give these Bibles away for free over here in the corner if you don't have a Bible or a phone or know how to use the Internet. You, we have a Bible for you over there. I'm snarky today. Um, we are going through a, a number of, of just kind of central things of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And as I mentioned before in the announcements, we, we want to just kind of to preach through it on Sunday mornings. And then in our home groups and our dinner parties, go take a deep dive into some of these things. Make sure we have a robust understanding of what the good news is and why it changes everything. We're going to talk about identity. That's a big topic this day and age. How do you identify? What does it mean? Like, to, to, how do you see yourself ultimately? We're going to talk about community, and we're going to talk about mission, our call. We're going to talk about power. How do we do all of this? So we want to we take from now to Christmas, and we're doing these little vignettes, two weeks on the gospel, two weeks on identity, all within this phrase of it, all within this frame of an alternative vision of the best life. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Romans? We're going to camp out in, uh, in Romans 1. This is a really simple message. Um, those of you who've been around Sanctuary a bit, you know that sometimes I like to teach. So you'll get lots of quotes and, uh, and, and, and a lot of backstory, a lot of like trying to make sure we explain and know where we're going. And then sometimes I like to preach. And sometimes I like to do, a, at the best, we try to do a little hybrid. Today I'm just going to basically go full preach, if that's all right. And if you, some of you have no idea what that means, you'll know because your ears will start to hurt in a moment. Thank you for the two people who thought, found that funny. Was the coffee just not strong this morning? Everyone feels a little sleepy. We good? All right. Romans 1. This, is, uh, this first passage I'm going to read is uh, one of, I don't know, it's like a youth group special. For those of you who grew up around the church. We actually talked a little bit about it two weeks ago where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel is the power, he says, the, the, there's something about the power that, that comes from this good news. He goes, I'm not ashamed of this good news announcement. We spent some time two weeks ago in our first week on this, and we were talking about what is that word gospel. Some of you may have grow, grown up in a tradition where gospel was, I've been saved by grace through faith. And that's powerful and true, but categorically not the gospel. That is an aspect that flows from the gospel. 
The gospel, uh, though, has produced an incredible field of music, but the gospel is not like gospel music. That's different. The word evangelical we talked about actually has these unbelievable roots and it's been sort of co-opted sometimes by sort of political ideologues. But the word is the word that's used in the New Testament, which is this word simply for good news. And it's news not in the way that often our newspapers or TV shows or Reddit feeds communicate news. It's not just like random information. News always was something more that in our, in our English language is more like an announcement. It was when you heard it, it changed everything. It was an unexpected event that now other things are totally different. That's something that was newsworthy, was something that was like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. Or wow, that, is, that, that was a fundamental shift. That is worth declaring, announcing, proclaiming. The good news before it's anything else is news. It is not good advice. It is an announcement. And we're going to get to some uh, technical language at the end of our message today, like how we talk about the gospel. But just to the short of it, the gospel is the announcement that, that God has become king. That Jesus has been elevated to the height of king. That Jesus is now making all things new. The good news as told throughout the scriptures, but distinctly in Romans 1, distinctly in 1 Corinthians 12, he describes these writers, Paul in particular, describes this announcement as this is the, the, what Jesus has done, who Jesus is. He's the one that these Jews were waiting for to put the world back together. And he has died on the cross, risen again, has ascended to heaven, and is making all things new. If you're brand new to church, it's a crazy story. But it is a story that has produced the best-selling book of all time and has produced some of the most radical biblical justice advocates. It produced hospitals and human rights. And I always throw these little tidbits out. But I just want to remind people that this crazy announcement that we as 21st century Americans tend to go, well, that's a bit much. Let's just dial that down. Is the thing that has produced so much health and so much wisdom and so much goodness and so much truth in our world. And for those that are quick to go, well, hasn't it also produced a lot of hardship? No, only when the gospel's been bastardized and people haven't been faithful to the Bible. And they do a bunch of things in the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? So, my laptop keeps turning off, ruining my flow. Um, it is important for us to get the gospel right that first and foremost, we remember that this announcement, something about knowing that actually God has now um, kick-started his redemptive movement in a new way. It brought love. These first disciples and these first communities began to feel such love. They began to realize how God had done this without anything that they could do. They were saved just by God's grace alone. What kind of king is he? He's a king who doesn't demand anything from you. He invites you to trust his way. He meets you right where you're at. And he says, no, no, my grace is upon you. And it's in that trusting him that we find ourselves transformed. Now, this is a king who is love and who's inviting us to be a set-apart people in the world. And Paul opens up a letter to the Romans, which is basically the center of the church in that day. And he says, I am not ashamed of this announcement. Why do you think he said that? Turn to your neighbor and ask, why do you think he said that? Why did he say, I am not ashamed? Any thoughts? You're allowed to talk to your neighbor in church.
I am not ashamed of the gospel. Any thoughts? You shot him out. People were ashamed of the gospel. Boom. That's it. Some of you thought that was going to be really complicated. People were experiencing shame. Paul has experienced so much adversity. So much adversity. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28 says this. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I always like get caught off by that one. Three times he was like, this is bad luck, boy. Don't get on a boat no more. This is not a good idea. Like if I had been in like, like one plane crash, I don't know if I'd ever get on a plane again if I somehow made it out of there. Never mind two. He's like, I'm going back for more. I got this. Third time's a charm. Nope. I spent, spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, from my tribe and the other tribes, in danger um, in the city, in danger in the country. It's now turning into like a country song. In danger in the sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul, who was basically a terrorist, killing followers of Jesus, becomes like, like gets knocked off his horse, becomes a follower of Jesus himself because he has a vision of the presence of God. This is why, by the way, I'm okay with people worshiping however they want. I sometimes want to be like meditative in a back room, quiet with like some stained glass. And or sometimes I just, I, I just want it so still. And then sometimes I just want to jump for joy and throw my fist in the air. The only reason why our worship leaders or me or anyone else ever goes like, come on, church. We're not trying to conjure a reaction. We're trying to stir up your faith. When you come together with other followers of Jesus and all you have is sort of a cynicism, like kind of sitting back and, okay, I'm waiting for the music to be over because this is awkward. And you don't take hold of what's right there, the access to be able to declare these truths. Something about putting them on your lips will begin to change your heart. Something about crushing whatever like self-consciousness you might have in that space and letting yourself be free. Like taking the faith of the person who's singing next to you really loud and really out of tune with their hands up. They're making it easier on you. Like if you think they look crazy, just dial back from there. and Just like, mm, Lord Jesus. But, but I say all that because Paul, Paul is like, he is fierce and confident. His language is bold. It's because he's encountered the living Jesus. Right back in the day in the 70s, they would use this firm like a Jesus freak. Right? He just was like, I'm sold out, is what we'd say like back in Christian summer camp, for those of you who come from that world. I've had friends walk into church on Sundays and go, Andrew, I think everything you're talking about is absolute straight nonsense. But man, I love that you believe it and are passionate about it and you're giving your life to it. And man, that makes me half the time want to clap with you. They're not even Christians, but they're going, I can respond to that, like, that, that passion that I'm actually here and present and awake and open. And Paul has this, I mean, he has been stoned. Not that kind of stoned. Like he's been stoned multiple times they thought he was dead. There was one time where he literally got up and started preaching again after he had been stoned. You'd think like, all right, the day is done, Paul. Just go home. And he just gets up. It's like, 
I am not ashamed of the gospel. Like, he's still going. He's ruthless. He's had an encounter with God. He was open enough, even in his, he opened enough to truth, even while he was terrorizing Christians. And it seems that God got his attention, wakes him up, and he then gives his life to the things of the gospel, the good news that, oh my gosh, I've been confronted with this announcement. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is making all things new. Jesus is my identity. I am loved right where I'm at, and I don't have to fear death. That should wake somebody up. It wakes me up at my most cynical. I was born with a bit of cynicism, born with a bit of like a propensity for deconstruction, and it's taken 30-some years to beat it out of me. I want to encourage you on the journey to be open to the new thing that Jesus is doing in the world. I am not ashamed. Why did he write this? Because people were tempted to feel ashamed. And he had confidence. Here's what I want to propose to you through a really dumb story. Is that if you lack clarity, you will lack this kind of confidence. There's something that even for the person who doesn't want to be confident in the things of Jesus... You got dragged here maybe to church today. But if you're anything like me, you admire someone who like has a real clear sense of what I'm giving my life to. You don't want somebody who's sort of waffling. You want some, are you in? Do you actually believe that? Because if you actually believe that you are loved, that you're gonna live forever, that you are free, that God can set you free from your temptation and addiction, you can keep going and God's gonna open up something in your life. If you have clarity on the gospel, Clarity on this good news of what's happening in the world, it will produce confidence. In, uh, in college, I, I dated a girl for uh, too long. Anyone ever date somebody for too long? Yeah. And um, amazing woman. We're like friends now. Um, Grace, she's married. She's happy. I'm, I think I'm happy. No, I'm happy. Just kidding. <laughs> that was dark. I was just joking. And, um, and man, it was, it was one of these um, seasons of life where, um, anyone listen to Death Cab for Cutie? Yeah, so uh, there's this line that there's the lead singer, songwriter, Ben Gibbard writes, and he says, uh, I'm going to get it a little wrong, but it's basically, he says, there's that moment that you know, that you told her that you loved her, but you don't. Anyone ever have that moment? Like you told, you told your significant other that you love them, but you, you don't. No, just me. I'm alone. I knew I was alone. I'm alone. Ah, uh, no. I, I, I had this moment where I had multiple friends being like, dude, you're, you're not all in. You're not all in. You're one. You're not all in. You're two. But we look so good on paper, but we could be so great together. It wasn't that there was a bunch of drama. If there was any drama, it was actually probably me. I'm like, I don't know what, to, I don't know, I don't, I just, I don't know, I don't know. I lacked, I lacked any bit of confidence because I didn't have clarity that I actually wanted to be with her. And it was that song, actually, was the moment that kicked me over the edge. I'd heard the song before, but when I heard it, I was like driving home one night, and when I have one of these moments, it's like really late, I'm driving home, the song comes on, it's like moody, the lights are gone by, and like, there's that moment that you know. And I heard it, I was like, no! And I broke up with her the next day. Thank you, Ben. You've been in a rainstorm. 
rainstorm, you know the way, you're just going home, you've driven this route a million times, and those windshield wipers are going back and forth as fast as possible, as fast as possible, and you still can't see anything. What do you do? You slow down because you lack confidence, because you can't see. You don't have clarity, even though you've gone this route, even though you know what it is to go down this road, and you can't see what's next, and so you have to slow down. Paul is going to go on in Romans to say some of the most bold things. I am more than a conqueror. I am more. Anyone else ever say that to yourself in the morning? You get up, you're like one of those self-talkers. You look in the mirror and you're like, I am more than a conqueror. Or Paul says like, I am an overcomer. Any overcomers in the room? Right? Come on. I am convinced that neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God. Like, I just like to imagine Paul. It's like Paul is a meathead or something. But Paul's in the mirror. He's just like, ah, oh, nothing can separate me. I am a conqueror. Ready? Go! You know, like, he walks, opens the door, and gets on his camel and goes, no, just kidding. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We know that in all things, no matter what, he will work it together for his good, those who love him. These are bold phrases. These are strong. I am not ashamed of this story. I honestly believe that Paul's confidence comes from Paul's clarity. He has had an encounter with the living Jesus. He understands the good news. And because he has clarity on what God is doing in the world and what God's doing through him, uh, it produces unbelievable confidence in his life in every sphere. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. This is how he opens up his letter. I want to just park it right here. First, number one, if you're taking notes, a servant of Christ Jesus. The gospel, the good news that Jesus is on the throne reigning and ruling begs the question first, number one, who do you serve? Who do you serve? We are all serving someone or something, your money, your time, your job, power, influence. In fact, a few verses later in Romans 1.21, he says, for although they knew God and they claimed to be wise, actually, let me just read it here. Romans 1, 21. Paul addresses this right out of the gate. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of a mortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity and the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Paul just goes, our propensity is to serve. We're going to serve. Bob Dylan, right? You ever heard the song, you gotta serve somebody? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve some better. David Foster Wallace, I've, I've read this quote many times, but this is just a helpful, helpful way to frame this. Foster Wallace says this, here's something that's weird but true. You with me? In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, 
there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing, in other words, as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC, it's Jesus Christ, or Allah, or Yahweh, or the Wiccan Mother Goddess, or the Four Noble Truths, or some inviable, inviable sense of, set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths and proverbs and cliches and parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth of all of this up front in your daily consciousness. The whole trick is to be aware of this reality and to actually trust what people have written generations and generations and generations, Christian and not, that you will worship and you will serve somebody. Keep it up front. So why not be free to serve the one who created you, who loves you, who does not condemn you, and who runs after you? Look, God will not compete with small, counterfeit gods. He won't. Who are you serving? That is an ugly question this day and age. Who are you serving? Because you're already serving somebody. Jesus asks all the time, I think this is why he asks, what do you want? Because what you want really is who you are. What you want boils down to who you are. Paul says in Romans 1, God gives them over. God gives them over to what they wanted. This is, when people talk about God's wrath, this is really the, the fundamental place it's spoken about. God's wrath is simply like, hey, look, I'm gonna let you go your way. I'm not gonna coerce you. I'm not gonna coerce you. He gives them over to their desires. He doesn't punish them. He gives them over to what you want. This is the natural outflow of living a selfie-driven life. This is the out outflow of driven a greed-centered life. This is the outflow of living an apathetic, despondent life. This is an outflow of living a fill-in-the-blank of anything other than God. I know I usually try to be more winsome, and I just want to be direct this morning. I don't want to build on the backs of the people in the tradition that's come before us. Again, not even the Christian tradition, who have all pointed out, and it seems that sometimes my generation likes to pretend they're unique. You're not. You're enslaved and serving somebody. Is it going to be Jesus or is it not? But get it straight and don't dabble. Jesus will not deal with counterfeit gods. He is a jealous God. He's like, I love you. I know what's best for you. Trust me. you got to get all that stuff out. If you want to have two lovers, I'm telling you, it's not going to work. The gospel is announcing the true king, and he is not going to coerce you. You can begin to live under his rule and reign or not. This is why there's power in the good news. It's because it, 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 as you hear it proclaimed, as you recognize the truth, that God is at work in the world making all things new, that God has, for, has forgiven me of my sin and removed my shame, he has taken upon me all the guilt. He's taken it upon himself. When I begin to trust this story and lean into it more and more and more, 
It will cause me to want to serve Jesus because that's what makes me fully alive. People get it twisted. They think serving Jesus is somehow abandoning my identity. No, no, no. Like from, who was it? Who said it first, Arrhenius, Adam? From like St. Arrhenius in third century to John Piper, for lack of a better example. It's like, my goodness, over and over and over. It's like, you want to know what man fully alive looks like? Like it looks like you being aligned with the things of God. It looks like you serving God. There's the glory of God is you being fully who you are, but you will only become fully who you were created to be if you are serving the king. You got that? You don't have to believe it, but I want to be clear. Say, I got it. Say, elephant juice. Okay. (laughs) Somebody who was sleeping just then was like, what, elephant juice? What is he talking about now? Number two, what are you called to do? He says, I was called in Romans 1, called to be an disciple. Every one of us has a calling from God. You were born on purpose. This isn't just for like basic brand new followers of Jesus. I have to remember this. It seems like, oh, I've got my purpose and my lane all set up. I have to continue to be reminded that I, I am not a mistake. I've been born out of time for a given thing. This is why this, like, this phrase exists floating around our church all the time from the prayer of Habakkuk. In our time, in this place, my hands, my feet, God, you have us here for a reason. And so for those of us who say, would you raise your hands? Like, yeah, I'm a part of this family. I know that for this season, for this day, I am called into this place. Everyone has a calling and everyone has a purpose. Calling is when you get a deep revelation that you are put on earth for a mission. Do you have a revelation that you are here for a reason, no matter what things you feel like are stacked against you? This is why we're really excited to revamp and go and do Grow Track. It starts two weeks from now. Grow Track is an opportunity for those of you who like to make sense of your spiritual gifts, your physical gifts, just like introductory of like your calling and what it means to integrate within the life of what the larger mission that we're doing here. Make sure you sign up for that. Occupation and vocation is the thing that you do. Calling is not what you do. Calling is who you are. Calling is who you are. Very early on in my life, I remember hearing from my father, boys, whatever you decide to do, and then Catherine came along and it was kids, whatever you decide to do. It was like, whatever, you're going to make money, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a musician, you're going to be an artist, and never was pressure on us to do one thing or another. Whatever you end up doing to make money, know that there's a call on your life to seek first the kingdom and to be people who demonstrate and announce the good news of Jesus. This is the call on your life. You're called to do it. Your invitation is to discover what God has called you to do and obey it wherever you find yourself vocationally. And his grace will get you through it. There's no pressure. You can let confidence rise up because God's called you to it. You just need to obey what he's called you to do. I know who I serve and I know what I'm called to do. Lastly, number three, you are set apart for the gospel of God. He says, I was set apart. Why are you set apart? Remember, this story is a counter narrative to all the stories of the world. You've been called out of the world. It says later in Romans 12, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Renovate. Renovate your mind. Like I need to think differently. To have a different lens. 
The good news, that when we apply this, when we are gospel-centered, as some people like to say, like when we, our whole lives are centered in on the good news, we recognize we're living in a very different rule and reign. We're living in, a, like in the world and not of it, the scriptures say. So when the world says get rich, Jesus says die to yourself. When the world says lead, 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 Jesus says serve, 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 serve. When the world says get, 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 Jesus says give, give, give. Think differently. Think differently. You can come at me with all you want. You can come at me with slurs. You can come at me with persecution. The follower of Jesus says, I'm gonna love you. I'm just pointing out the obvious, but the kingdom of God, the operating system is distinctly different. The people that get lifted up in the kingdom, the people that Jesus says they got it, are like kids and prostitutes, people who are swindling others, Blessed are those who don't have it all together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, for justice and righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. It's like people will say, well, it doesn't look like Jesus is ruling the world. Well, it's because you're looking to all the ways in which people think the world needs to be run. And all the while, you over and over have hospitals popping up and people being healed and divorces like being healed and people caring for foster care units and churches being planted. I mean, just taking a brief look at what's happening in China it's like this is what the government thinks is going to happen and the church is exploding. The government can't even keep it down. And people are being cared for and loved by the meek and the mild. See, there's another world breaking forth in the midst of the current one. Be set apart. I was set apart for the gospel. I'm living in a different place. People reduce this verse to like, I don't know. If you came from like a conservative background, like don't get tattoos or don't dress like the world or don't listen to good art. I don't know if you came from that background, but that's such a shallow take on this passage. So shallow. No, no, no. This is about the things that matter. Dress however you want to want. You're in the world. How are you? How are you presenting yourself? How are you thinking? How was the renovation? Yeah, some of you got to clean up your dress maybe a little bit for the sake of the people around you. That's all right, it'll come. Now God, God is inviting us to live a distinctly different way in the world. The world says violence and power over. Jesus says lay down your life, sacrificial love. This is what it looks like to walk with me. Jesus says entrust other people. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble today. Trust me with your daily bread. Most of you know all these verses, but if you are anything like me, even as I'm saying it right now, preaching it to you, having prepared this, I find myself actively convicted in real time. Anybody else? I'm like, whew, daily bread. I am not good at trusting God with daily bread. I'm good at saving up for North spicy noodles. That's not. God, you, what do you, where do you want me to give? There's a new place. If the gospel and the good news is real, then Lord, you have set me apart. Why does God want you to be set apart? Not to judge the world, but to love it. It's like you have this grace and now you can condemn those around you. No, God wants to use you. He wants to set you apart and set us apart. We talked about this last week so that people can go, man, we need somebody who knows how to make peace. Call in the Christians. We need to figure out how to love and sacrificially love in this situation. Call in the Christians. But I think a little bit in our city we have forgotten this. 
And we are invited in a city that really could care less about the gospel and care less about the way of Jesus, that has the lowest church attendance and lowest like Bible reading, whatever the new poll that came out in the country. Providence at the bottom of the bottom of the list. You know what's happening? This. This. What's happening is this. What's happening is, is actually people are still getting together. God is raising up. The gospel is still being declared and it's forming a new community who are gonna demonstrate and announce that Jesus actually is king, that actually there's a better way, but he wants us to be set apart and he wants us to be whole and he wants us to be like free of the things that bind us so that we can be used. I heard sort of a simple analogy and I wanna end with this about this set apartness, about why this is such a critical piece. Because remember, Paul is bold and confident and ridiculous and I don't think Paul would fit in very well at a party. I mean, he seems to kind of fit in because he's invited into these places and then he just goes, I don't know, something. He's wily. He's somehow welcomed into the cultural elite and then he gets in there and he's like, yes, mm, I'm not ashamed of the guy. I'm sure he's more winsome than that. But why be set apart? Why is this so critical? No, Jesus is my king, not this. Why not get pulled into whatever progressivism or conservatism that is pulling you away from the things of Jesus? We as followers of Jesus, and I stole this analogy from another preacher, just to be honest. We are nothing more than a box. And the the, the preacher used this analogy of like a pizza box. Like no one eats pizza and says, what a great box. No one. Like what, maybe it's like really great, like Pizza J ups their their vibe and it's amazing gold-plated box. Like no, it's not. It's cheaply made, it gets discarded. The box has one function, to carry what someone ordered. Now, I don't want to underestimate the box if a pizza guy like rolled up to your house and was like, had no box and just the pizza in his hands, like here. It's just cheese falling off. Like I would not eat that. So the box matters, but you order the pizza for the pizza. The thing that matters is the box clean, And is it empty so the contents can be carried? All that God needs out of Sanctuary Church is that. Not to conform to the patterns of the world, to be the meek vessel that's important but isn't the point, and to be set apart, to be clean, to be empty and to be clean. That God might fill us with his joy, fill us with his purpose, fill us and help us to know our calling in the world. I've been convicted about this more and more in my own life because I have recognized the sinful patterns and I've recognized the ways that I conform to the patterns of the world. And I have for so long not taken seriously The reality of how being a loving, radical, mission-oriented, justice-pursuing person in the world has everything to do with me being clean and empty. For me being whole and ready to receive what God has for me in my call. God wants to use this church. Please hear this. God wants to use this church like never before. But the culture of this church starts in the culture of your heart. And we all need to own ourselves. No pastor up here, no worship service, no book. It's not going to replace the hard work that you need to do with the Spirit. 
the hard work that you need to do or the easy, beautiful work of just letting God in and being open to him. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to have some clarity about what God is doing so I might have confidence to deal with my soul, confidence to walk into my calling, right? Confidence that God's going to make me whole and he'll, he'll carry the way. Confidence that I can step in to my calling and confident I know who I serve, where my marching orders come from, where the joy is, where the party is, where the blessing is, where the movement is. This is how we repeat, say the gospel. Little definition we've mangled together. The gospel is the good news. Will you stand with me? The gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator, out of His great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin and renew all things in and through the work of Jesus on our behalf, to establish his kingdom through his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is for God's great glory and our profound joy. The gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator, out of his great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin and renew all things in and through the work of Jesus on our behalf to establish his kingdom through his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we acknowledge God as our creator. We acknowledge our sinfulness in thought, word, and deed and our need for redemption. We trust Jesus as our savior and redeemer who lived for us. We see our true identity and loyalty as followers of Jesus, and so we give him our allegiance. We choose to seek first the kingdom of God rather than the systems of brokenness. We humble ourselves and seek to live lives of love, compassion, and to join God in the work of restoration. We hear the announcement of the gospel, and we receive it as good news with repentance, faith, and joy. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Today, if this is a moment for you to re-up, let's re-up together. Let's raise our hands high and surrender. Let's lift our hands and give thanks to the God who loves you, sees you, has called you, and wants to make you new. Our God is good, is he not? How often is he good? Our God is good. Our God is good. Let's sing together as we close our time.